the series is tied at a game apiece and now shifts to Philadelphia for games three through five. Will you be tuning in to tonight's game? Or will you be too busy since it's October 31st? Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! The 2022 World Series features two teams with the second largest difference in regular season win totals in World Series history. Houston won 106 regular season games, Philadelphia 87. So the Astros with 19 more wins in the regular season than the Phillies. As I said, second largest difference in World Series history. The largest difference was in 1906. The Cubs won an amazing 116 games that year and faced off against the White Sox, who won 93. I think that both during the regular season and through the postseason, Houston has demonstrated itself to be the superior team. Not only over the Phillies, but I think the superior team in baseball. But the Phillies split the two games in Houston and now head home with a chance, if they can sweep at home, of taking out the Astros. Now, game one was on Friday night. It was in Houston. Both the first two games were. And it featured two outstanding pitchers, as did Game 2. In Game 1, Aaron Nola took the mound for the Phillies. Justin Verlander took the mound for the Astros. Now, neither starter fared well in this game. Nola didn't make it five innings and gave up five runs. Verlander did make it through five innings, but he also gave up five runs. But as it regards Game 1, there's no doubt who the hero was. 3-2 3-2 from Garcia. Real Muto shoots one in the air the other way. Back goes Tucker at the wall. It's gone. Real Muto starts the 10th with a go-ahead shot. He tied it in the 5th. He gives him the lead in the 10th. And from down 5-0 to lead game 1-6-5. So Real Muto, as you heard there, tied it up in the 5th, hit what was the winning home run in the top of the 10th. Now, the the Astros had a 5-0 lead through three innings. But they scored, the Phillies scored, excuse me, three in the fourth, two in the fifth. And then that home run gave them the lead and ultimately the victory. Now, I believe as we're watching this World Series, there are five potential future Hall of Famers involved in this series. I believe there are three surefire Hall of Famers and two that are yet to be determined. There still has to be some time into their careers. The no-doubt player in this World Series that will be a first-ballot Hall of Famer is Justin Verlander. He has had a phenomenal career. Again, no-doubt first-ballot Hall of Famer. Almost certainly going to win his third Cy Young this year at age 39 for the Astros. But he struggled throughout his postseason career as it regards the World Series. He's had some stellar performances in the postseason, but not in the Fall Classic. He's had eight starts covering five different World Series, 2006, 2012, 17, 19, and this year. 
and he has an 0-6 record with an ERA in the upper fives. And in game one, he was perfect through three innings. Had that 5 nothing lead, gave up three in the fourth, two in the fifth, and that, of course, tied things up. Who are the other surefire Hall of Famers that are involved in this series? Well, in my opinion, Dave Dombrowski and Dusty Baker. So Dave Dombrowski now, running things for the Phillies, has taken his fourth franchise to five World Series. So he took the Marlins, the Tigers, the Red Sox, and now the Phillies. He won a World Series, running things for the Marlins in 1997, and then again, running things for the Red Sox in 2018. And if the Phillies actually win this World Series, think about this, it will mean that Dave Dombrowski, as the head, there are different titles through the years, but as the one that's leading things, whether that's general manager, head of baseball operations, president, whatever you want to call it, if the Phillies were to win, that means that three teams that he was in charge of have won the World Series, which would be 10% of all the teams that play in Major League Baseball. I think he's a surefire Hall of Famer. I also think Dusty Baker is a surefire Hall of Famer. I know there are some people that are waiting and saying, if he wins a World Series, I'll vote him in. Others are saying it doesn't matter. He's one of only 12 managers with 2,000 or more wins. He's the first black manager to reach that milestone. He's the only one that's not in the Hall of Fame of those 12, other than Bruce Bochy, and he's a surefire Hall of Famer as well, in my opinion, but he just took a job with the Rangers, so it's going to be a while. Dusty is the first Baker, first manager ever to lead five franchises to the postseason. So I think he's also one who's on his way to the Hall of Fame. What about the two potential Hall of Famers? Bryce Harper and Jose Altuve. Both still have to accumulate numbers for years to come yet, but they've got a chance. Now, Altuve also has to overcome all that happened with the scandal in Houston as well. And Altuve has been struggling this postseason mightily. But he came out of it, at least temporarily, the Astros hope permanently, in Game 2. Game 2 was on Saturday night. Again, a great pitching matchup. Zach Wheeler versus Framber, Framber Valdez. Now, the results here were that Wheeler, again, like Nola and Verlander, did not do so well. Valdez, on the other hand... 0-2 and a swing and a miss. Valdez gets him with a curveball, one down. That's the curveball that did the Yankees in, and he continues to throw it and continues to get the chase on it. And it's because he takes some off as well, and it not only acts with the action of the vertical movement, but also it works as a changeup because of the velo. He is now two for his last 23 as he watches that curve sneak to the back door. So Segura saw only one non-fastball yesterday. He sees three pitches from Fromber his first time today. Two of them are curveballs. Valdez trying to finish him off and does for the breaking ball. Strikeout number five for Fromber Valdez. Well, he went back to the breaking ball. The slider he was using against left-hander Schwarber. That's a big out. That thing is in the strike zone a long time and then disappears down. And delivers. Gets him. Big breaking ball from Framber Valdez. 6K. You have no idea how much break this ball is if you're at home watching this pitch. But one of the best in the game and good at breaking balls. This pitch breaks so late. And it looks so good coming out of his hand. That is what makes this guy so nasty. And he's got one of the best curveballs in the game. 
So Valdez had a great start, and he's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Go back and look what he did for the Astros in the regular season. And maybe he gets overshadowed, and to a degree, rightly so, by his teammate, Justin Verlander, who, as I mentioned, is likely to win his third Cy Young. But Valdez has been a hugely important and very successful pitcher for the Astros throughout the season and into the postseason. And you heard them talking again and again about his curveball. The spin rate on that is over 3,000 RPM. That's elite even at the elite level of Major League Baseball. And the sharpness because of that spin rate is amazing to watch. Unless, of course, you're in the batter's box, then it's not so amazing. It's kind of frustrating. So the series is tied at a game apiece. But from my perspective, the Astros have dominated these two games with the exception of three innings. They have actually dominated. But the fact is, the series is tied. Now, there was no game last night. It was an off day. The series resumes tonight in Philadelphia. On the hill for the Phillies tonight, Noah Syndergaard. For the Astros, Lance McCullers. Then game four is tomorrow. Game five is in Philadelphia. These next three games are on Wednesday. If there is needed, games six and or seven, they go back to Houston. Game six would be on Friday. Game seven on Saturday. So the series could end as soon as Wednesday if either team were to win all three games in Philly. But even if the series goes the full seven games, the Major League Baseball season for 2022 will end on Saturday. So whether we have three more games or five more games, the end of the season is drawing to a close. And, at least for the 2022 season, this will be the finale of In the Bullpen. And I decided to wrap things up today for a couple of reasons. I am going to be traveling at the end of the week to Michigan and then early next week back from Michigan because I'm going to head there for my grandfather's 100th birthday. Our family is going to celebrate with him. And I thought about the fact that while I wouldn't be back in time to release another episode on Monday, I thought, well, maybe I'll just release one on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday to to finish out the season. It would be a few days late, but I would do one more. But I decided against that because this could be the final episode of this podcast, not only in 2022, but beyond. And I couldn't think of a better day to bring it to an end than October 31st. Now, some of you may not be paying attention to tonight's game, even if you're baseball fans, because you're going to be celebrating, as many people do every October 31st. Now, my family and I have been celebrating already the last couple of days, and we will continue to celebrate tonight. And of course, I'm talking about Reformation Day. Now, in my intro, I gave kind of an either-or, which actually has another option, which is both-and. And that's what our family's going to be doing. We're not going to be either watching the game or celebrating Reformation Day. We're going to do both. We're going to watch Game 3 and continue to celebrate Reformation Day with a family in our church. We've been celebrating with multiple families in our church over the last couple of days. Now, here's something that I'm guessing almost nobody knows, and that is that in our church, there are actually very few families that are baseball fans. And so you need to learn that fellowship and being in covenant with those who are less sanctified is a good thing. All joking aside, tonight we are going to watch the game with a family from our church that are baseball fans, the Vernots. 
And not only are they baseball fans, but they're one of the most sanctified families in our church. And it has nothing to do with them being baseball fans. But it is Reformation Day. It is October 31st. And on this day in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the castle church door in Wittenberg. And that began what we know now as the Reformation, what we celebrate each October 31st. And many great Latin phrases and slogans came out of the Reformation. Maybe most significant, most important, the five solas. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and we know all of this from Scripture alone. But another phrase is semper reformanda, always reforming. The call for the church to be always reforming was a call of the Reformation and should be a continual call for the church universal. And that, of course, means that each local church, which is a part of that universal church, ought to be continually reforming. And that means, of course, that those who make up the church, people like you and me, ought to be always reforming. Now, there's a man I follow on Twitter, and I've not heard his name, so I'm hoping that I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but his name is Dustin Benge. And he tweeted this out, I think, two days ago or so. The Reformation was never about Luther, Calvin, Tyndale, or others. The Reformation was about recovering, articulating, and applying the gospel of Christ. The same recovery and articulation are needed in every generation. Reformation is never over. And to that tweet, I say, Amen. It is most definitely needed in every generation. And we need to recover, articulate, and apply the gospel of Christ in every sphere of life. In the church, yes. In the home, yes. In the state, in business, in politics, in baseball, and in baseball podcasts. Now, in this podcast, for the three years that I have been recording it, I try to focus on what is good, true, and beautiful about the greatest game played on earth and the greatest players who take the field to play it. But looking at everything from a biblical perspective, including baseball, including Major League Baseball, I see a lot about the game, and especially at the Major League level, that is bad, false, and ugly. And those things have to be addressed. I know that there are people, because I've heard from you all, there are people that listen to this podcast who are not big baseball fans, or at least when they started listening, weren't. And I'm trying to to show you, again, the beauty of the game and why it is such a great game, the greatest game. But I cannot overlook what's not great about it. More than that, what is wrong about it, wrong from God's perspective. Now, my concerns aren't primarily about things like the rule changes taking place. I've already mentioned that I do not like the pitch clock, which is going to be instituted at the major league level next year. Also, it seems inevitable that sometime down the road, not next year, but probably soon, we're going to have an automated strike zone. I'm not a big fan of that either. But those aren't the big issues for me. The big issues are much more encompassing, much more far-reaching than those. 
And just to name a couple, I'm very concerned about and believe that it is part of what is bad, false, and ugly about the game to see the disrespect and emasculating that's taking place in the game of baseball at the major league level. Again, just to note a couple of things. The, one of the most obvious that we see a lot are some of the antics done by players after hitting a home run. That is objectively disrespecting the game and the people in it. And in my opinion, the people that watch it. And the fact that people can do that and have little to no concern whatsoever that the next time they come to the plate, they will not wear a fastball in their rib cage, or even maybe more worse than that, maybe even worse than that, that their teammate, the next guy, might not wear one, to me is a problem. Now, I, I do not believe that you ought to intentionally hit somebody because you're mad at them or to seek revenge or never to try to hurt them in the sense of injuring them. But as a form of discipline, I think it is very good. I think it can be very profitable. But that has been more or less taken away from the game. And it's one of the ways that I would say the game is being emasculated. Another way would be the way that we can no longer break up double plays like it used to be. Again, I don't think anybody should go into second base trying to take out in the sense of injure to remove them from the game to put them on the IL, the shortstop or second baseman. But go back and watch video of not too long ago, but especially if you want to go back to the 70s and 80s, of the way double plays were broken up back then. We've removed that, like the home plate collisions. I think that too is emasculating the game. And there are others, but these are just a few. Now, if the Lord allows, and this podcast does return in 2023, I'm likely going to focus more on these kinds of things. Still want to bring out what is good, true, and beautiful, but look at where is the game moving in a direction that is reflective of where our culture is moving, which is reflective of a culture in the game moving away from things that are right in the eyes of God. Now, I do not know if this is the final episode of In the Bullpen from now on. But if it is, and even if it's not, I want to say a huge thank you to all of you who have been listening. Some of you have been listening since the first episode over three years ago. I thank you very, very much. I consider it a great honor that you take your time to listen to this podcast. I very much appreciate those who have reached out to me, sent me emails and the like, and especially those who have come up to me the last three years at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference and introduced yourself to me, and 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 I got to know you, you got to know me. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much, however it's come about, for your words of encouragement and gratitude. As I said, I don't know if this is it or not, but I will say these things kind of as a teaser. If In the Bullpen is able to continue next year, there have been a number of topics that I have had kind of in the hopper. Things that I either hoped to get to or I said, you know, at some point in time, I think these would be good episodes. And there are even some in which I've picked out a title for certain episodes. So just to give you a couple of examples, one would be the title, It's All Michael Jordan's Fault. And I would use that title as a way to to deal with what's going on and what has been going on as it regards Comparatively speaking, say back in the 60s and 70s, and I think even into the 80s, 
the number of young black men entering into professional baseball and ultimately playing Major League Baseball. Now, this topic has been brought up this week. Bob Nightingale wrote for USA Today that it's the first World Series game since 1950 without a single U.S.-born black player on the field. Of course, there are plenty of black players, but not U.S.-born. And even Dusty Baker said something when when it was addressed to him. He said, nah, don't tell me that. That's terrible for the state of the game. Wow, terrible. I'm ashamed of the game. And then Tony Clark, the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association, wrote, It is truly unfortunate that as any young black player may be watching these games beginning tonight, he's not going to see someone that looks like them. As a result, they may make a decision against continuing to keep playing our great game and to move to something else. Now, I have both questions and concerns about these statements, but I'm not going to get into those now. I'm just going to go back to the reason for the title, It's All Michael Jordan's Fault. Back in the 90s, when I was still playing and then after I got done playing, I was involved in a ministry with a friend of mine in the inner city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was called God's Garage. My friend is Kevin. And God's Garage was a place where the inner city youth basically from about 8 to maybe 20, came in. They played basketball a lot, shot pool, lifted weights, and the like. I was still playing. I had a Mizuno contract, so I was able to order equipment from Mizuno as a part of that contract. So I started getting things like catcher's gloves, both right-handed and left-handed first baseman's gloves, uh, bats, and the like. And my goal was that when I was done playing, I would seek to start an inner-city baseball team. And Kevin, my buddy, said, you know, I really appreciate that. But I don't think it's going to go. I don't think it's going to fly. I said, really? Why not? He said, because you're not going to find enough players, nine at least, and you really need more than that, that are going to have an interest in playing. I said, well, why is that? He said, because everybody wants to be like Mike, Michael Jordan. It's all about basketball. And I do believe, and of course people have come since Jordan, but Jordan maybe started it, I do believe that that's a big reason why we are having fewer, I think it's increasing over the last few years, but fewer black young men pursuing baseball as a career. They want to be like Mike, or they want to go to the NFL. Now, there's another subject that I was definitely going to devote an entire episode to this season. And I was following it throughout the year, from the beginning of the season until now. And I was simply waiting for some kind of closure to the situation, or at least more information, enough information where I could accurately assess and give an opinion on what was going on. But it never came about. I was never able to release that episode. Now, we're only days away from the end of the 2022 Major League Baseball season, and yet there has been no decision made about one of its players, a former Cy Young Award winner. Now, this was also an episode where I had a title ready to go. Now, I wasn't sure if I could use the title. Again, I was waiting to see if the title would be appropriate for the facts, for the information. But I didn't get those facts. I didn't get that information. But given the lack of clarity on the situation, I'm thinking quite strongly that the title would be appropriate. And the title that I have set to go is in defense of Trevor Bauer. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time, if there is, for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.